Welcome to the Reverse Harm Audiobook Podcast. Because why choose? Hello and welcome to the first ever Reverse Harem audiobook podcast. My name is Sky McKinnon and you may know me as the founder of the Reverse Harem audiobook Facebook group. If you haven't joined us yet, come and do so. Every episode we are going to introduce you to a different RH audiobook, both new releases and books that have been out for a while. You're going to get the chance to listen to the first few chapters and not just a short sample as you would get at Audible and other retailers. We will also offer you exclusive discounts, so if you like the audiobook you've listened to, you'll be able to get it cheaper. We are hoping to do chats with both authors and narrators to give you a look behind the scenes. If you're an author or narrator, get in touch if you would like to be featured on the podcast, and if you're a listener, tell us which authors and narrators you'd like to have as our next guests. Now, grab yourself a tea or coffee, some snacks and relax. You're about to listen to Rescued by Bears, a paranormal reverse harem featuring some very hunky bear shifters in a post-apocalyptic Scotland. This is a completed trilogy narrated by Kiyosia and written by myself, Sky McKinnon. Yes, I chose one of my own books for this very first episode, simply because that's easiest. You'll find more information about how to subscribe, all the audiobooks featured, and where to get your exclusive offers at whychoosepodcast.com. All in one word, it's whychoosepodcast.com. As I said before, relax and listen to these sexy bears. Prologue London and New York were among the first to sink. Berlin and Mumbai quickly followed. In the past, cities were built close to the sea to have access to resources and trade. Now, their locations became their downfall. What had been predicted to take years, decades even, happened in a few months. When the permafrost in the Russian tundra melted for the first time in tens of thousands of years, billions of tons of methane were set free. The gas rose into the atmosphere and caused a bigger greenhouse effect than all the CO2 that humans had produced since the Industrial Revolution. Climate change was set on steroids. The ice caps melted rapidly, and the sea levels rose. Britain sank. All that is left now in the north is a group of islands that were once the highlands of Scotland. Most are fenced off and isolated. When the drowning happened, society collapsed. Bankers and politicians were no longer needed. That was 13 years ago, and I hardly remember it. Today, we become farmers, craftspeople, cooks, mechanics, and healers, like me. There are no universities left, so instead of doctors, we now train as healers. It's a new form of medicine. Actually, an ancient one. Back to the Middle Ages. No x-ray machines, no sterile surgeries, no antibiotics besides the few bottles that we have left. Instead, I'm learning about herbs, roots and flowers that could help treat my patients. Our island's only surgeon is trying to teach me what he knows, but without labs, computers and robots to rely on, he's struggling. I don't know what's going to happen once all the doctors trained in the old world have died. I'm an anomaly. 
On Salvation Island, you're expected to leave school at 14 and contribute to society. And if you're a girl, you're supposed to marry. And birth children, as many as possible. Until now, I had been spared from that. But not anymore. Chapter One Last night, my uncle told me that I was going to marry Marcus. He didn't ask me. It was a statement. What he decrees is done, even if it's marrying his niece off to the highest bidder. Somehow, I had convinced myself that this day would never come, that he would see my medical training as a bigger priority than increasing the island's population. Not that it's all about that. No. A woman is precious for the man who owns her. Giving me to a man means my uncle will get something in return. Power, influence, loyalty. And apparently, that's more important than having a healer to care for his people. At least I'm not a child bride. I got to wait until a week after my 20th birthday to be given the good news. Lucky me. Sometimes I wish I had cousins that he could impose his wishes on, then maybe I'd be left alone. But he never managed to father any children himself. Perhaps I should be happy about that. Yesterday evening, after he told me, he locked me in my room. It doesn't have windows. My uncle is too clever for that. He knows I wouldn't stay if I didn't have to. Besides our shared blood, there's nothing that binds me to him. There are very few people who have been allowed to leave the island. Usually men who found a woman somewhere else and who promised to send back resources. Sometimes they even managed to swap for a woman from a mostly female island. Not every place was as predominantly male like ours. And then there were the people who left without permission. I know of only two. George was in his late forties and became my uncle's main adversary. He didn't agree with his way of ruling the island. George wanted a democracy rather than tyranny, but of course my uncle didn't like that way of thinking. So one night George disappeared, taking one of the boats. We found his body washed up on the beach a few days later. I still don't know if he left and capsized or if he was killed. Knowing my uncle, I almost suspect the latter. The other person to escape was Julie. As a child, I looked up to her, even though she was only a few years older. But to me, she was perfect. She came up with the most amazing games and wasn't above playing a trick on the adults. My parents had died not long before, and she showed me the love and kindness that I thought I had lost. When I got older, she became my friend. We did everything together. My uncle didn't like it. I think he disapproved of me being seen running around freely rather than being the demure little niece he wished he had. He restricted the time I was allowed to play more and more, but whenever I managed to sneak outside, I would seek out Julie. When she turned 16, however, my uncle announced that she was to be married. She refused. Her mother did, too, but as a woman, she had no say in it. Julie's father had died during the drowning, and as a single mother, she was the lowest of the low. My uncle decided to indulge the men of the island by organizing an auction, with Julie as the prize. Ten men bid on her in the most humiliating ceremony I have ever witnessed. 
she was standing on the stage in the community hall, trembling, while the men were leering at her like a prized cow. I was standing at the back of the crowd, crying silent tears at seeing my friend so humiliated. She had always been the strong one, but now she had been reduced to a whimpering girl in the tight grip of my uncle. The man who won her didn't wait for a marriage ceremony. He took her home straight away, his friends cheering him on while he grabbed her by the hair, pulling her down the street. I cried all night. The next morning, she didn't leave her new husband's house, nor the next. On the third day, I sneaked in through a window. She was lying on the stained bed, her arm tied to a bedpost. Bruises were covering her face and there was blood on the pillows. Her eyes were full of shame, and no matter how often I told her that everything was going to be okay, neither of us believed it. I cut her loose and she gave me a shaking hug before climbing out of the window. She disappeared, and so did one of the boats. My uncle was furious. He didn't have proof that I had freed Julie, but he punished me for it anyway. And he promised the man who had mistreated Julie so badly that he would get another woman instead. And today, he made true on his promise. The woman is going to be me. He's giving his only niece to the man who beat my best friend into submission. Guess why I'm feeling upset right now. I spent all morning in the room and half of the afternoon reading an old anatomy book, trying to distract myself from the fact that I'm being sold to the highest bidder like a prized cow. That tonight I'm going to become a wife and if everything goes according to my uncle's plans, a mother. Today is special because it's the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, and probably the coldest. The day of my wedding. Everyone has put on their finest clothes for the celebration. Night has almost fallen, and torches are lighting up the sky. Lampions are hanging from the trees, and candles are flickering on long wooden tables set up in the village square. This is going to be the biggest party we've had since the summer solstice. I just wish I could enjoy it as much as the people dancing to the sound of fiddles all around me. Instead, I'm sitting on a bench, my teeth chattering from the cold, looking deep into an almost empty mug of ale. It's Mitch's strong stuff, and I can already feel my mind becoming a little lighter. Maybe with enough alcohol, I can somehow get through this night without killing someone. Or myself. I get up and go to the nearest table. Jane is sitting there surrounded by men, guarding the whiskey bottles. She shoots me a sad smile. She's been through the same thing that awaits me. Only, when she didn't get pregnant, she was passed on to another man. And another. Now that everyone knows she's infertile, she's free game. Only the most important men on the island are allowed to have offspring. But if that danger isn't there... I'm almost hoping that Marcus will be able to get me pregnant. With that cheery thought, I grab one of the bottles and turn away, back to my bench. This is going to be a long night. Half a bottle of whiskey later, my uncle steps onto a podium. Every eye turns to him. Tonight, my beloved niece, Isla, will give her hand in marriage. Blah, blah, blah. I'm sure you all wish her the best. Blah, blah. I don't care. Everything is fuzzy. I want to leave. I get up and walk away.
no one is noticing me slip into the darkness. I stumble and almost slip in the thin layer of snow covering the ground. Everyone is at the party. Maybe the boats are left unguarded. They never are, usually. I get to the beach and forget about the boats. The sea isn't water anymore. It's ice. A thick sheet of ice. Well, when did that happen? The ice calls to me. I can't see far. Heavy fog covers everything. There are islands in the distance. I have seen the maps. Many of them are uninhabited. But maybe I can survive? I'm good at surviving. I have done it for the past 20 years. I carefully step onto the ice. It's thick and doesn't budge. I jump a little. No cracks. It seems safe. One last look back. Fires are burning in the distance and laughter fills the air. My home. Not anymore. I can't stay. I laugh to myself. Not sure why, but I feel like it. I'm walking further. Sometimes I stumble and sway. But that doesn't matter as long as I walk away from the island. Into the darkness. I'm tired. And cold. Very cold. My uncle made me wear my prettiest jacket, which is thin and not made for winter. I'm shivering. Tired. Sleepy. I turn around. The island has disappeared. I must have walked for a while. Maybe I should sit down? Just for a moment. Just a little break. The ice is not as cold as I thought it would be. It's actually quite warm and soft. Comfy. I stretch my legs and watch my breath turn into clouds. Soft, cute little clouds. If I breathe quickly, I can make lots of little mini clouds. Cloudlings. Who knew breathing could be so much fun? Maybe I should move. My uncle could already be looking for me. But the ice is cozy and I'm sleepy. I don't want to walk. It's exhausting. I've earned a rest. I could make a bed from the snow on top of the ice. Put it all together into a nice soft mattress. Or even better, a sofa. A snow sofa. I giggle. That's even better than making snowmen. I begin to shift snow from as far as my arms can reach into a pile. It's not very much. I'll have to get up to collect more snow. But I'm tired. I should sleep. Maybe I can sleep without a bed. The ice isn't that cold after all. All my life I thought that ice was freezing. But it isn't. Maybe it's special ice, just for me. I smile at the foggy sky and thank the snow gods for their kindness. Noises disturb me before I can fall asleep. Shouts in the distance. Barking. Are those dogs? I need to leave. I stumble to my feet and start to walk. Well, more like stagger. My legs don't move like they're supposed to. They're hard. It feels like I'm walking on stilts. One foot in front of the other. Now that I'm walking, I'm no longer warm. In fact, I'm freezing. I touch my cheeks with my fingers, but don't know what's colder, my skin or my hands. Everything is cold. Thinking is beginning to hurt. The fog is getting thicker again, 
and I'm not sure I'm going in the right direction. Am I still moving away from the island? Or am I walking in circles, like people lost in the desert? I can't see stars to guide me. It's just me, a lone figure covered in snow and fog. Maybe this was a bad idea. Maybe I should have stayed. But then I remember Marcus's foul breath and don't regret a thing. Better frozen to death than being alive, chained to that horrid man. I have no doubt that my uncle would consider chaining me to Marcus if he knew I was planning to run away. If he caught me now, I would never be free again. He doesn't care about his niece like an uncle should. I'm just a commodity that he can trade as he wishes. All those meals I cooked for him. Now I wish I had added some nightshade to them. A sweet, painful death. The noises behind me have stopped, but I drag on. I've lost all feeling in my face, and my eyelids are threatening to freeze shut. Frozen tears stick to my cheeks. I'm not sure how much longer I can walk. The sky is getting brighter. Is that just the fog lifting, or is daylight finally arriving? My legs are continuing to walk, while my mind is drifting. If I die now, will the sea swallow me once the ice melts? Will I sink to the ocean floor and slowly decompose? Will fish eat my flesh? The fog is clearing. There's something in the distance. Land. There are cracks in the ice, shaped like lightning. They are everywhere. I look down and they are getting bigger. Water is pouring through them, melting the snow covering the ice. There's something beneath the ice. I bend forward, blinking to get the ice from my lashes. A face. I stare at my own drowning self. The ice cracks and I'm falling, falling into the depths and... There is no water. I'm kneeling on the ice. No cracks. I must be going crazy. I'm crawling. Not much further. Land. Somehow, in my stupor, I know that I can't lie down in the snow. I find a fallen tree. Bed. I collapse on it and surrender to the whiteness of winter. Chapter Two I'm no longer cold. In fact, I'm nice and toasty. A little sore, but I'm alive. Something soft is wrapped around me and heat is warming my face. I blink my eyes open. Orange and red burst through my vision. A fire is sitting in the middle of... Where am I? I try to sit up, only to notice that I can't move. Trapped! I panic. In my modelled state of mind, it takes me a minute to think of looking down at myself. I sigh in relief. I'm wrapped in furs. Lots of them. I really rock the caterpillar look. I try and squeeze one arm out of the fur burrito, then the other until I can finally sit up. I'm lying in the middle of a wooden room. Wooden ceilings, wooden walls, a wooden floor, wooden shelves and furniture. It even smells of wood. Everything is brown and rustic, in a charming way. In the middle of the room is a fire pit. A little dangerous to have an open fire in a house made from wood, if you ask me. But it's warm, so I don't care. After last night, 
All I care about is no longer being cold. I extract myself from the rest of the furs and notice I'm in my underwear. Nothing but my underwear. Whoever put me in this cabin must have undressed me. I hope it was a girl. Really, really hope. No man has ever seen me naked. It's not proper. I frantically look around the cabin for something to cover myself in, something that isn't furs. As warm as they are, I'm already getting sweaty from the heat. Behind the fireplace is a large window, with a wooden frame, of course, looking out into a snowy landscape. The house seems to be at the edge of a forest. There aren't many forested islands. I've never seen that many trees in one place. Icicles hang outside the glass, beautiful and deadly. I once treated a patient who was hit on the head by an icicle and have had a healthy respect for them ever since. To my left is a table and matching chairs, seemingly made from hand. And there, on the table, are my clothes, neatly folded. I've never been so happy in all my life to see clothes. They're nothing special, but they cover. After I've put them on, I continue my exploration. There are two doors opposite each other. One of them must lead outside, judging from the mud splatters on the floor in front of it. I have no desire to go out into the cold again, so I decide to investigate the rest of the house. The other door leads to a small kitchen, if you can call a camping stove, a wobbly cupboard, and a few plates stacked on the floor a kitchen. Let's call it a cooking room. Much better. There's a ladder leading up through a hole in the ceiling. Is that an attic? A screech signals the opening of the front door. Hello? A male voice calls. Shit, where? A guy comes into the room. Oh my, he's gorgeous. His blonde hair falls down to the thick lashes circling his pale blue eyes. His jaw has just the right angles, and his beautiful, full lips are saying, There you are. I was worried you may have gone outside. It's cold out there. You could have easily got lost. I almost got lost when we first got here. No paths, you see. I stare at him. Is he for real? Sorry, I'm not used to strangers, and I'm babbling. Sorry, I'll stop now. He pauses, then grins and bursts out. How are you feeling? I'm, uh, who are you? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm Finn. Finnian, really, but everybody calls me Finn. He does a short bow, which makes me stare at him even more. And who do I have the pleasure of talking to? Isla, my name is Isla. Do you live here? He looks around himself as if he's not quite sure about something. Then he nods. Yes, me and my friends. They're outside now, but should be back soon. He still looks distracted. Was it you who found me on the beach? What? No, that was Torben, the... my friend... He was out for a walk when he spotted you lying in the snow. You looked pretty blue. I mean, blue. And pretty. Ah, sorry, I haven't talked to a girl in a while. He grins at me sheepishly. He motions for me to follow him back into the living room. The fire is calling to me, and I sit down on the furs next to him. The light of the fire makes his hair look almost golden. He's beautiful in a fine, angelic kind of way.
an angel with quite a bit of muscle. Stop it, Isla. He could be anyone. I mean, who lives on an island with just friends? How do they survive? He clears his throat. Adorable. So, what's brought you to this island? Well, I kind of had to leave my home, and the sea was frozen, so I just started to walk, and eventually ended up here. I didn't really think it through. It was probably a mistake, but I couldn't stay there. Why? He asks softly, his eyes meeting mine. I was supposed to do something that I didn't want to do. I pause and laugh humorlessly. Okay, that sounded like I was a child who didn't want to do her chores. Actually, my uncle wanted me to marry a guy from our community, and I didn't want that. That man, he scares me. I couldn't stay. He's still looking straight into my eyes, and somehow, I've got the feeling that they've told him a lot more about what brought me here than my words. Why would your uncle make you? I guess you're not close. Close? No, not really. I don't think he sees me as anything other than a young, unmarried woman who can be sold off. There are not many women living on our islands, and even fewer ones young enough to have children. The island's population is growing older, and we need younger workers who still have energy and can be molded. I stop, shocked at how I had repeated my uncle's words. I'm usually so careful, locking away all I heard when he had men over for meetings. This guy and his blue eyes are getting to me. I evade his gaze and look out of the window behind him, into another set of eyes, big brown ones, surrounded by fur, lots of fur. I scream. Finn whirls around, on his feet before I can even see him move. He's leaning forward, looking ready to jump when he sees what I'm seeing. A large black bear running away from the house. I've never seen a real bear, but he looks exactly like they look like in photos. Big, shaggy, scary. Finn lets out a sharp laugh. I see you've met one of our neighbors. Your neighbors? Aren't they dangerous? Nah, not once you get to know them. They're actually quite cuddly. He laughs, and I'm just about to shoot him an incredulous smile when I see a white bear burst out of the forest, chasing after the black one. Is that a polar bear? Here, in Scotland? Um, yes, I think so. He gives me a shrug. Must have swum here. I'm about to quiz him further when the door opens, slammed against the wall by a massive man. Huge. Giant. Enormous. I can't seem to find a word for his massiveness. He's all bulging muscle, almost ripping the black t-shirt he's wearing. Wait, t-shirt? It's freezing out there, and this guy is wearing... almost nothing. I shiver just looking at him. Are you cold? Finn's concerned voice comes from behind me. He must have been looking at me very closely to see the tiny shiver my body made. I'm fine. Um, who are you? I could ask you the same thing. The giant grumbles. He sounds like a mountain smiling at the morning dew. You're a mysterious girl. You looked dead and frozen. Now you look... alive. Are you hungry? 
Only now I see the fish he's holding in one of his oversized hands. Yes, I suppose I am. Thank you. He looks at me in confusion, then clears his throat. You're welcome, I guess. His shoes are leaving wet prints on the wooden floor as he moves into the kitchen. That's Ran, Finn whispers. You've met him on one of his chattier days. Is he always walking around in t-shirts? Finn throws back his head and laughs. Usually he's wearing even less. But it's winter. Isn't he cold? He's got the rather good metabolism. He chuckles. Now, where did we put the plates? I point towards the kitchen. There were some on the floor. Ah, yes. I don't think anyone's used them for a while. But nothing a quick wash shouldn't improve. Men. Ran returns from the kitchen, the fish lying in a massive iron pan, now robbed of its scales. Its milky eyes look up at me. I'm not used to eating a lot of fish, or meat in general. My uncle doesn't like people using the boats to fish. Guess he's afraid they may not come back. There are a few chickens on the island, but they're mainly kept for their eggs and are only slaughtered for special occasions, like the winter solstice. Ran puts a wrought iron contraption over the fire pit, then lowers the pan on top of it. My stomach grumbles at the thought of food. The last time I ate something was just before my uncle told me about his plans. After that, my appetite vanished. Two days without food. How am I still standing? Finn puts a piece of fish on a plate and hands it to me. He chuckles when I rip it out of his hands. Mine. It's amazing. I don't know how Ran managed to make a fish taste this good without using any other ingredients. Far too quickly, my plate is empty. A new piece appears out of nowhere. Okay, Ran puts it there. He shoots me another confused look. Apparently, he doesn't know any other girls who like to eat. Or maybe girls in general. Now that the fish is happily swimming in my stomach, tiredness is starting to approach me like a good friend. I yawn and wiggle around on the furs to be comfier. Maybe I should go for the caterpillar look again. But I'd probably need to ask one of the men to tuck me in. And that would be embarrassing. I don't even know them. I'm too tired to care. I curl up on the furs and enjoy the heat the fire brings to my skin. Comfy. I slowly blink myself awake. Pale winter sunlight is breaking through a window above me. I don't know this window. I look around. I don't know this room. I'm in some kind of attic, with walls that go up straight to about my hips before turning into roof. It takes me a moment to remember. The frozen sea, the walking, the fish, especially the fish. I'm hungry again. I look around until I find the ladder going down, hidden behind a low shelf. When I step on the first rung, I notice the voices. Male voices. I can just about make out what they're saying. They must be in the living room. Instinctively, I stay on the ladder. I do love a good eavesdropping. Does she suspect anything? A deep voice, full of authority. A voice you'd tell everything it wanted you to. I don't think so. I told her we're living close to where the bears roam, but that they pose no threat. I think she believed me. Finn's chuckling. 
Good. Let's keep it that way. We don't want her to run off scared. The sea is thawing and it's not safe. The girl will be staying with us for now, and she can't find out. We'll have to start the schedule. How long can you stay in this form? Six hours. A new voice, a friendly grumble. Like Ran, but less... dark. Five. That's Finn. Also six. Ran. He actually used one word more than Finn. I can't believe it. It's seven for me. That means some of us need to do two shifts a day. I'll go first, but we should introduce ourselves first. She's only met two of us so far. We'll have to come up with some kind of excuse for being away from the house all the time. Finn chuckles again. How about we shift into bears in our free time and can't stay human for longer than a few hours? I'm beginning to like Finn's sense of humor. He seems slightly obsessed with bears, but there are worse things. I said an excuse, not the truth. Not the truth? What? No, serious voices making a joke. A really, really well-hidden joke. Why not? Finn asks. It's not that strange. There are lots of stories about werewolves and we're not that different. Stories. We're real. Ran grumbles. I don't think Ran has much of a sense of humor. Oh, heavens. Bears. We're bears. Bears eat humans, right? That's why they want me to stay. A portable food source. And I was so stupid to walk right into their lair. I scramble back into the attic and run to the window. If I can't leave through the front door without passing the bears, I'll need to be creative. Luckily, the window is easy to open. I carefully drag a chair beneath the opening, trying not to make any noise. Do bears have good hearing? The roof is covered in thick snow. The upper layer has formed into ice which cracks into tiny shards when my feet step on it. Carefully, I walk towards the edge of the roof. It's high, but there's snow on the ground which should break the fall. Serious voice said the sea was thawing, but I am light, and there might still be somewhere I could cross. I look down. I'm not a big fan of heights. Actually, they scare me. They are painful. Well, the end of the height, where it meets the ground. Fuck! Come back! Someone yells behind me. I jump. Wow, what a cliffhanger. I mean, I wrote it, but still. I didn't want to add too many chapters for this first episode, just to get a feel for what people really want. So if you would prefer to have a podcast episode that's longer than half an hour or so, do let me know. Now, if you want to continue listening to Rescued by Bears, go to whychoosepodcast.com. And there you'll find a code to get this book a little cheaper than you'll find it at retailers. But you can also go to your local library or whatever retailer you usually use and get it there. Now, I hope you enjoyed this. Please give us some feedback. And we'll be back soon with another audiobook full of yummy men and women who don't have to choose. Thanks for listening. This was the Reverse Harm Audiobook Podcast. Go to whychoosepodcast.com to find out more.